Let's give the people what they truly want. That's, that's what they really came here for. To hear exactly. Stephen Hunter speculate on the death of the elites. Something that we literally, yeah, that we are completely disassociated from. But let's let's speculate. Because we have absolutely nothing. But just like everything else going on, everybody's an expert on it because they read a few articles. <laughs> right. I mean, that's just how it goes, man. That's, that's the <laughs> internet. I'm sure. sure. How about one of my favorite things? Has this ever happened to you? We can actually start here because one of my favorite things is when people try to just random internet people try to coach fighters. You get people like hitting your DMs like, bro, here's here's what you got to do. All the time. Or they'll see a picture of you. They'll see a picture of you like throwing a punch and your hand will be like here instead of here. And they're like, you got to leave those hands up, champ. Or like, or you mean whatever. Uh, You'd look. I think you'd do so much better if you use your jab more and blah, blah, blah. And uh, like, let me tell you this one. Okay. So <clears throat> there's a boxing match in Butler and uh, it was the first loss of my amateur career, MMA, boxing, all that. And it was really fucking embarrassing. As you can imagine, like all my friends came, it was uh, in the downstairs of my boxing club, like the boxing club I trained at the upstairs where the gym was. And then the downstairs was a basketball court. It was like an old YMCA. And, uh, like I said, I told all my friends, I mean, whatever, like, uh, I'm boxing, whatever, like, come. And it was, you know, everybody lived, you know, 10, 15 minutes away. So I was like, yeah, we're going to fight. I'm going to fight. And then we're going to go to the bar after. It's going to be great. I would want to fight the week before. And I was like, just riding high. Like, I really didn't think I could lose. But, and I wasn't even, this is the only time it's ever happened in, you know, whatever the, however many 10 years I've been fighting, um, I wasn't nervous. And I really, I thought for me, I was like, that's it. I've outgrown nerves. I'll never be nervous again. And I lost. I didn't get knocked out or fucked up. I just, you know, lost. I lost a boxing match, right? So <clears throat> um, the match is over. I lost. It was embarrassing. Um, and then they broadcasted it. It was like the only fight it had so far. They broadcasted it on the local, like, news, whatever. The, the local public access channel. They, act, they broadcast all the fights. Some dude I don't even know comes in when I'm working security, like, a month later. He's like, hey, man, I saw you in that boxing match. I thought you looked really good. I was like, thanks. I appreciate it. And then he comes in with his literally his next line. Never talked to this dude in my life. He goes, I think if you'd have went to the body more, you'd have won. And I was like, <laughs> and I, I, I mean, I, at that time, I'd heard a few dozen times about what people thought I should, especially the non-fighters. So I was like, yeah, man, thanks. How many fights have you won? And he's like, well, I, I don't I don't fight, but, you know, like I watch it a lot. And I feel like so we just went back and forth. And I was like. Yeah, well, I'll come to your job and tell you what you can do better. And he was like, well, I'm just like I said, man, I'm a comedian. If somebody had, uh, you know, any criticisms or advice, I'd be like, no, you'd probably be annoyed at them too. shut up. And he's like, Ooh. <laughs> it's ridiculous, dude. And that man, like, I hope you fight him someday. I hope he gets hope so. his career together, winds up in Bellator, and then he can meet you. Meet you in the cage. I, hope I hope his coaching career takes off. And, uh, <laughs> well, clip. We got a bump, yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, clearly the guy has all the answers. So I mean, what else could you need? Uh, that's that must have been the that's the part I don't tell people. Is I go home and I lay in, I laid in bed that night and I'm like, maybe he's right. Maybe if I'd have went to the body more, still was, haunts you. I could have won. I could have won it all. It still haunts him. I could have like, been a Butler superstar. Yep. If you guys had followed Steve's career, you'll notice that he actually never throws strikes to the head anymore. He's afraid to nope. strike to the head. <laughs> body shots. <laughs> well, bo- comes above the collarbone. Yeah, body shots McGraw over here. We, I love right. it. 
Dude, so I, I got to ask about dad life, man. This is a huge, obvious development in your life. It's awesome. It looks like you're a good dad and loving it, man. What? How has that transition been for you so far? I appreciate that. Um, no, it's good. It was whenever I found out, I mean, my girlfriend was pregnant. I, you know, had all the obvious and all the <clears throat> all the expected, you know, anxiety and whatever. But um, no, I love it. I love, I don't know. I really like being a dad. It wasn't something that like, it wasn't just like, you know, the baby was here and I was like, oh my God, overcome with like emotion. It was just like one thing, you know, one, one minute there's no baby. The next minute I can't wait to go home after practice and, you know, spend time with her. So it's been good. And my, uh, my girlfriend's on maternity leaves, maternity leave. So we've really had time to like really get into a rhythm together. It's been, it's been dope, dude. It's the best. Yeah, it's freaking sick, dude. It's funny because I was just talking to, I don't know if you remember Jason Cardillo. But uh, he was an undefeated welterweight in the Pittsburgh area, and he retired when he was like six and zero. And he had some good wins, like he beat Daquan Townsend locally, who's obviously you know made it to the UFC after that and everything. He but had he, good. Was he the wrestling coach or something yeah, like that? Yeah, Cannon Mac. And I know I don't think I'd ever had the pleasure, but I he like trained at Pittsburgh Fight Club. And, yep, okay, yep, yep, that's the guy. So uh, he he retired like unexpectedly, and I just had the chance to get him on the podcast to actually talk about it, and he was saying like his wife just had a kid and he was just focused on being a good husband, a good dad and realized like, if I can't do this a hundred percent, I'm not going to do it at all. So he was like that kind of guy. But what I think is interesting is like, you just said, I can't wait to get home after practice and see my kid. Like now you're doing the balance of still chasing that fighting dream while also balancing being a dad, man. How are you learning how to balance that? And how are you learning how to, how to deal with that? Because like Jason, it's maybe not that he couldn't have done it, but he knew it was going to be, more of a hassle than he was willing to go through. So, like, how are you balancing that? Yeah, I mean, Jason sounds like he was in a, a little bit different of a situation. You know, I'm very fortunate that fighting, I'm finally, only as of recently as two years ago, um, does fighting pay all the bills, you know? Like, I don't have to work an extra job. I don't have to do security anymore. I don't have to um, – I haven't taught a private lesson in, like, a year and a half. Um so, I mean, that's, that's the big thing. Fighting pays the bills. And uh, I mean, it's really just that. I just, I just try my best to, to be attentive and be, uh, you know, like I'm trying to think of the word, uh, try to be attentive, try to be like, you know, aware of like, you know, what's going on at all times, try to, try to you know, fulfill the needs, not just of myself and the baby, but you know, the other people live in the house. We have my girlfriend, we have her son. Um, but I mean, that's, I'm just doing the, the best that I can. I really feel like, um, as with a lot of the things in my life, I feel like, uh, it was something good that just happened to me. And I, I'm just like fucking in a getaway car for, you know, pedal to the floor, escaping, like riding the rush as long as I can kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure, dude. It's crazy when you look at it, like your, your whole fighting career, like you just said, you've been fighting now over 10 years, which doesn't even feel real, man. You still seem, you know, like a young up and coming guy but you're a decade into this so it's just I feel like a young up and coming guy too that's the crazy thing especially when i think about who i shared the room sorry to interrupt you but like just, no, especially just... when i think about especially when i think about who i've shared the room with and who i've had the opportunity to train with and think about like some of the guys that i fought i really am like i'm at an interesting point where i'm like i'm not like a spring chicken anymore but i'm definitely not like i don't feel old yet you know what i mean Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, I think, like you said, your training partners, everything probably helped 
keep you fresh and invigorated because you're always seeing in the gym, man, where you train, you know, these guys, you're always seeing that upper, upper elite level that's even like possible to get to. So it's got to keep you motivated on a daily basis, right? Yeah. And it's, I would say the biggest thing for me, um, if, if I credit myself with anything, I think it's first and foremost being diligent. And that's probably the word I was looking for earlier is, you know, diligence is, and what, what that means for me is, um, is, you know, I probably, I'm probably guilty of this just as often as I am, you know, um, rewarded for it. But, you know, we, we've all had situations in our life where we've been like, oh, I know and I shouldn't have done this. And I've been told this many times to do this, but I didn't listen. And then like, whenever you finally reap the reward of doing it, it's after you've had to correct yourself a thousand times. But that said, um, having trained with, you know, whatever, a dozen or so dudes who've been in the game for a long time, who killed it, who, you know, they've been at the pinnacle and they've been in the Valley, you know, they've been able to impart wisdom on me. And I think if I've done anything well for myself, it's that the majority of the time I was able to hear whatever wisdom they had to give me. And I was able to assimilate it right away. And, you know, not, that isn't like, that isn't to say that I haven't had things that I've had to learn the hard way or, you know, some things came faster than others, but. I would definitely say about, especially dudes, you know, like, like Litton Vassell, somebody like I credit as like a mentor, Stefan Struve, those guys, they always had things where, you know, they were a lot farther along in their career than me. And they were able to see where I was at and everyone to pick out like, oh yeah, something similar happened to me at that point when I was doing this, what I think you should do. And, uh, you know, whatever, whether I took their advice, you know, you know, verbatim or, you know, I had to adjust or I heard what they said and I heard about like my situation. I kind of had to like pick and choose little bits here and there. I've just always been very fortunate to have a very clear guideline and been able to follow it. Yeah, no doubt, man. And I'm sure you could throw Henry into that mix. Obviously, man, what's it like, what's it like being under his mentorship, just his aura? Like I've been places, you know, talk to him before when he comes in a room, he just commands a certain kind of respect. You know what I mean? He's got that aura about him. What's it like working with a guy like that? Well, yeah. So that's, so you take like, so like a Litton Vassell or like a Stefan Struve, right? They have, you know, Stefan had, I think, like 40-some fights whenever he retired. So you have to think that's like Jason Cardillo had a respectable career at 6-0, and and he, you know, hung it up because he was like, well, look, like I have other things in my life I just want to focus on. So you take a guy like Stefan who has, you know, seven times that amount of fights, it's, you know, he, it's almost like he's had like three careers over, you know? Yeah. So, um when you put that in perspective against a dude like Henry, who's not only has he had, you know, a career like that himself, but he's, you know, kind of like, he's kind of lit the path for dudes, not just, you know, guys coming up, but like some of the baddest motherfuckers to ever do it. And so um, to get like advice from a dude like a Stefan or a Linton is, you know, don't get me wrong. It's a valuable, but you have a guy like Henry who kind of, like you said, like, has been there, done it all, been in Peter Art's corner, been in Ernesto Who's corner, been in Tyrone Spong's corner, been in Rashad Evans, been in Kamaru Usman, like so on and so forth. Um, he's the kind of guy that I've gotten close. I've had the you know distinct pleasure of getting close to him over the years. And, you know, more often than not, it's, it's a very like, it's a very platonic, very, very positive, very uh, whatever, very productive relationship. But, you know, whenever there's, he's not the type to like just lay down the law on you and just here's what I think you should do all the time. He's more the type to like, 
observe from afar, see what you're doing. And he'll kind of like guide you from the peripheral <clears throat> in a way that's not obvious, but you'll definitely will look back and be like, Oh wow. That's why he told me to do that. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. That makes perfect sense, man. What was the transition? Like when did you hook up with Henry and, and move South? Like I, I should know why and how this happened, but I really don't know the details. Like what took you there initially? So long story, not kind of a funny story. I should say. So uh, Jared Rochal was getting ready to fight Stefan Struve. This was, they were going to fight on the same card that Ronda Rousey fought Holly Holm. Mm-hmm. And back this is what 2015 now, something like that. <clears throat> anyway, um, I was visiting Florida to see someone I knew, and I found out that Boca was like 20, 25 minutes north of where this person went to college. So, um, I even though I knew that Henry was coaching the guy that I had just helped somebody else train to fight. I was like, hey, like, I'm in town. I'd really like to, you know, whatever, put something together with you. I'm getting ready to go pro because I was at the time. And, um, you know, I was like, I'm looking for a place I could, like, call home for myself. And so I reached out to Henry on, like, every platform that there was, you know, Instagram, Twitter. I went on his website, I, all that stuff. So <clears throat> I did a private with him. Um, I did a private with him, and it was, like, just one of those things. I did a private. He was like, yeah, well, you know, we have other guys getting ready to fight tall guys down here. So if that's something you want to come back and do, you know, we, let's stay in touch, and we'll, we'll put something together later. So um, Matt Mitrion was getting ready to fight Travis Brown. They brought me down here for that. And then <clears throat> I was down here for, like, three weeks for that. I went back home, and I was like, I'll do anything, but I got to get back down there with those guys. And then, so I pretty much I just kind of, like, kicked in the door and was like i'm staying here and you're never gonna get rid of me and it i'm sure that there there's a funny if you, i'll let henry tell you the story if you ever get a chance to talk to him about it but i'm sure there were people who probably would have been like no he's, he's that's not the kind of person that we want here sort of thing but henry and greg made sure that my place was secure and then over time i kind of had to win over the masses but sure enough after a while everybody was like yeah like that's that's our dude so as soon as i got the from signed to the team whenever glenn was you know whatever the boss um, I packed all my shit in a car and I drove down. That's crazy, man. What a what a story. Like just knowing what what was it about it that felt so right that you knew? Like, I mean, that's a mega risk for any person to take, right? Like, well, how did you feel so confident? Like, this is it and this is gonna work for me. I didn't. I really didn't. Um, <laughs> but I was like, I'd rather I'd rather feel and fuck up at this than be good at then, you know, I mean, than like settle down at something I knew I had things I knew probably would work. I probably could have gone to college and got a degree. Um, I could have, um, you know, whatever, gotten a trade job. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, you know, going, getting a formal education or, you know, working a trade. I think they're, they're both, you know, very admirable occupations, but I knew that for me, I was like, well, that's, that's not really what I'm trying to do. And it wasn't so much a thing where I was like, I know for a fact, this is going to work out for me. It was a thing where I was like, <clears throat> you know, feeling the energy of the black zillions at the time. And like some of the individuals there, it's, it's not quite the energy and the, you know, whatever the, the the special sauce that we have now, but it was very special, you know, and it was just, I just knew being in that room, that was where I wanted to be. So for me, it was more a thing where I was like, I'm going to fucking make this work and I'll do whatever I have to do. I'll train however much or however, whatever, however long or whatever weird hours, whatever I had to do to make it work, I'm going to do it. And then it was just, I've been very fortunate that it, 
but it has. <laughs> yeah, dude, no, no doubt. I mean, obviously, it's worked out very nicely for you. But uh, which harkens back to what I was saying. Sometimes I really just feel like I'm driving the getaway car of my own life with my foot to the floor, and I'm like, I'm not looking back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get like imposter syndrome, right? Like it's like I don't deserve that. Like this isn't actually happening to me. So you're just like riding it as far as you can until you get caught. Sort of, and that's it. Really, is like. I work as I still do. I still try to work as hard as I can. I, I mean, that doesn't mean I don't take breaks. I don't listen to my body, but I do. I mean, I work as hard as I possibly can. I do what I'm told. And I really just feel like other, you know, people follow that formula and they don't always end up where they want to go. But I'm also the type that I'm like, well, even if I hit a wall, I'm going to, you know, put the car in reverse and maybe go a different direction if I have to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no doubt, man. And I think like with your career locally here in Pittsburgh, you know, it was kind of, obvious you can kind of tell early i think with most amateurs that just excel like you can tell the ones that have a chance if they keep developing if they stick to it like might go places but for you i think it's funny watching your fights now in bellator you know your striking is what everybody is is cued in on like you've you got two straight now nice knee to ground and pound finishes like classic steve maori tall steve stuff but like when you were around here you were mostly known as a grappler honestly despite your frame like everybody thought you were just a grappler what was the transition like for you there? Is this just Henry's influence shining through? Is this just you getting more comfortable with the game as a whole? Like what's kind of caused this shift in your strategy? I mean, yeah, more or less. Um, I mean, it's kind of like a mix of both. I would say that for me, I knew I wanted to be somebody with, you know, like a dynamic striking game. And I knew that like I had the tools to do it. It's just that, um you know, like I had a good boxing coach I had a really good boxing coach in Pittsburgh but um if I'm being honest with you I'm sure he would agree his name's Ryan Cover. Ryan Cover and I got on really well the coaching relationship was you know very very symbiotic um but when it came to like kickboxing and like striking for MMA we we're mostly just like teaching each other shit or just hey I saw this the other day it looked pretty cool let's try it you know so um you know, like in terms of my just boxing, I think I did pretty decent, but it, it was getting to a point where I was like, okay, well, look, like if we're just boxing the box, you know, we could do that. But like, it would, that's not the direction we're headed anymore. We have to make this work with takedowns. We have to make it work with kicks. We have to make it work. You know, if the guy's kicking me. Um, and it was, like I said, when I met Henry, it was just, it was just one of those things. Like I really wanted to, to develop, you know, a very a dynamic striking game that, you know, if I couldn't take the guy down or could not grapple him, I wouldn't be able to beat him up on the feet. And I think I've never really fleshed this out with him. As long as I've known him and as close as I am with him, I never really, like, really fleshed it out. But I think part of him saw that in me too, that I was like, no, I, I don't want to be just a grappler. And even whenever I got down here, it was obvious to everybody that like, no, he doesn't have, a, I didn't have a very um, high striking acumen, but I knew how to wrestle. I knew how to grapple. And they were like, okay, well, let's, let's just, use that for now to help everybody get better, but then you're going to pick things up along the way. And then kind of like what you said, it was a lot of influence from Henry. He was like, well, these are the things that I think we're going to pick up and work on. And, and then it was also, yeah, just over time had to learn to, to get more comfortable. I had a, before my second pro fight, Henry told me, um, Henry told me is the last pad session we did. So it would have been like the Tuesday or the, the Tuesday or the Wednesday before the fight. He was like, yeah, I want you to go in there and stand with this guy. Um, I don't care if you get knocked out. I don't care if you lose the first round, but for five minutes, you're going to stand with this guy. And I was like, made me nervous, but it was like, <clears throat> well, fuck it. I'm going to do it, you know? And then I won the fight by knockout in the first round. So 
Um, it was like, kind of like what you said, it was some, a lot of Henry's influence and a lot of, you know, we've had a lot of other good coaches there. Sean Soriano is another one who really like really kind of helped me hone in on my, my tools and my attributes. And then another part of it was just saying, fuck it. I'm gonna figure it out. Even if, even if I get killed doing it, you know, that's great, man. And like you mentioned these names, Henry, Sean Soriano, everybody knows the stable down there at Sanford and black zillions, hard knocks, whatever it's been called throughout the years, right. you know, for you, how'd you keep from getting like starstruck when you went down there? I always think that's interesting when it's a guy from up here, you know, there's obviously super quality training around here too. And guys from Pittsburgh have made it, you know, to the highest level. But when you go down to a place like that, where it's just a stable of Bellator and UFC killers, it's, it's a different it's a different vibe when you're there, man. Like, how did you feel, you know, this new guy on the rise, still learning, like you said, you know, still honing your skills, didn't feel comfortable, stand up at all. How do you go into a place like that with those people there and just be like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to make this work like I'm, it's just going to work? Uh, well, being starstruck was definitely something that had occurred, but you can only be starstruck for so long after they punch you in the face before you're like, <laughs> Okay, well now now we're now we gotta get to work. Um, but it was tough, man. Especially, uh, especially I'm trying to think when I, when I first like integrated into the group. <clears throat> this was around the time that Rumble was fighting uh, Ryan Bader, and Ryan Bader obviously has. A, I mean, he still has a reputation, but at the time, even in the gym, he had a reputation for especially when he was like a month ish out from a fight somebody was getting fucking dropped in the gym and if you know anything about trading you know how hard it is to drop somebody in the gym but like we're talking putting dudes on their fucking face like knocking them out and it took me the longest time to work up the courage to all right i'm gonna spar with him today and i remember his last sparring session before ryan bader i was like i'm gonna do it i gotta do it i gotta do it i gotta do it and then right when he had his hands up he'd always do this he'd stand there in the middle of the gym with his hands up and other dudes in the gym, I mean, me included, would be like looking around, um, staring at the floor, you know, whatever. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll go with you over there, you know, whatever. And he, I was swear to God, I was going to come over and, you know, all right, I'm going to go with you today. Right as I was about to get there, he grabbed somebody else. Oh. And I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> do you remember who saved your life that day? Yeah, I do. He's my, my friend Freeman, yeah. That's awesome, man. So, do, I mean, probably, I love Freeman, but if I know Freeman well enough to know anything, he probably got to hand it to him too. So <laughs> nice. But you did, you worked with Rumble after that, obviously, right? What's yeah. what's that experience like? Because obviously, the next several the camps, uh, the next several camps, you know, I'm trying to think. He had, I, I want to say he had three fights before he retired or something like that. Before he like took that break there. But anyway, and, and but every camp after that, I was like one of the main guys that he'd go to, um, and it was intense. It was I really can't say enough that like Rumble, you know, he gets a lot of credit for like how athletic he is and you know how explosive he is, but people don't give him proper credit for you know having a very high striking IQ. You know, very um, he's very uh, he has his like his patterns that he's set to, and he knows how to use his offense really well. And so it's, and he's really fucking difficult to take down, you know, big props to Daniel Cormier. Uh, So no, it definitely, that was, I would definitely say that he was the guy that kind of set the standard the highest. Like that's what the baddest motherfuckers on the planet are like, you know, very high skill, very high athleticism. And he was like one of the guys that 
if you knew you knew if you had him in the gym you were you were going to be in for it if you weren't on that day yeah you always hear fighters say like i want my hardest fights to come in the gym so on fight night it feels easier do you find that that is the case for you training down there that the gym sessions are genuinely more difficult <clears throat> yeah definitely especially i mean not just at that time when it was rumble but then like linton was also a guy he was on like a he he went on this you know fiery tear through like the belts or 205 division so he was a guy that was really coming up he's really like finding a rhythm for himself stefan was stefan had like a really interesting win streak there where he was like a win away probably from a title shot um and it was just <clears throat> for me at the time who was like just getting started as a pro i had that that sense of this weird sense of security that was like okay well these guys i fight they might be tough. They might be the next best thing, but like, I promise they're not fucking rumble. They're not Stefan Linton. You know, Chago Silva was there at the time. Uh, Volkanos Demir was like, Volkanos Demir hadn't, he hadn't, um, he hadn't like broken into the mainstream yet, but he was like another dude that was a beast just killing it. Yeah. You guys, the stable there. I mean, obviously we talked about it a lot, but it's just a ridiculous cast and crew. And like, we've seen, I'm sure any MMA fans seen videos of the sparring sessions like you guys are known to, I won't say like beat each other up, but you guys don't go light when it comes time to get that work. Like there's no, uh, there's no holding back, so to speak, it seems like, which is like you said, kind of intimidating, man. Like how do you get yourself gassed up just to even go to the gym for a normal training? Because it's a, it's a harder training, I think, than at a lot of places. Well, the first few, probably the first like two months that I was down here, we had a like we all lived in this fighter house. It was just like this fucking this dope townhouse in Boca, and um, it was like me. And then there was it was a four bedroom house, and at one point had eleven people in it. Um, mm. So it was like me, and then like a couple guys that were like established. They just wanted somewhere cheap to live. But then it was mostly it was for the guys who were like on the come up, like the young up and coming guys who like couldn't afford rent or utilities anywhere else. So we played it, we paid a flat fee and you know, whatever we split everything up, but it was me and me and like three other guys where every morning we'd come downstairs, make coffee, breakfast. And then we'd sit at the table, the kitchen table for like 20 minutes. Like, Oh God, why do I do this? Like one kid, Taiwan Claxton, me and him would sit there every day. Like what the fuck is wrong with us? Why do we do? He's like, I have a college degree. I don't fucking need to be here. I'd be like, I don't have a degree, but I can do whatever the fuck I wanted. I'm still (laughs) here. And then every, every day then we'd ride up to sparring, probably get our asses kicked and then come home be like, okay, good. You know, wrestling and grappling later in the week. It's hilarious, man. Taiwan's one of the most interesting dudes, I think. He doesn't get enough attention. His background with the web development, the app development and stuff, like, who's doing this as a pro fighter? He's an interesting dude. He was doing that stuff when we lived there, too. He was, like, I mean, like, a total all over the place. Like, he was was teaching himself coding. I want to say he was doing something else, too, while we were there that wasn't related to fighting. But it was – he was – no, he was always like that, to his credit. Um, I'd always had like a lot of respect for him for being able to do all that. But for me, it was just like work training and work training and trying to stay alive. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I mean, it's working out for you. You're, you're clearly alive first of all. So that's, I think, like I said, I think I'm alive. This, this might be that weird, like afterglow. It's all right. Well, we're all in it together. If that is the case, man, that's the good news. (laughs) You ever watch the Sopranos? No, no, I haven't. There's, There's like a, there's a you know like a four episode stretch where tony's in like a coma and he's like he lives in this weird like dream world and i think sometimes maybe that's me 
Nice. Is it is it as good? Like, do I definitely need to watch yeah. The Sopranos? Okay. Yeah. So, like the way the way <clears throat> the way modern television works, you know, is like very much follows the example that The Sopranos sets, and it's. Okay. I think what makes The Sopranos so interesting is that so like, you know, Game of Thrones is interesting in that <clears throat> it has a very clear structure and narrative that it takes from the books. And, you know, even though now they're different. Um, the book set up a framework that it can go back and borrow from. So like in the first season, you'll hear like, this guy was the baddest warrior of all time. And then sure enough, in the third season, he shows up. Like, oh, here's this guy. Yeah. Sopranos doesn't have that. They're making, you can tell they're making it up season by season. by. So they had the beginning and the ending in mind. But in the middle, there's like, at the beginning of like the fourth season, they're, they're like, okay, well, <clears throat> it was like six of the top mob guys are all getting out of prison at the same time. And you're nice. like, why are we just hearing about this now? Like, how come we, they're, they're like characters that are like legends in the, you know, the, in the greater mythos. And we're like, how come we're only just hearing about them for the first time? But the way that they integrate into the narrative is so like seamless and like the acting is so believable and powerful that you, you know, you forget. And it's like just one of those things that um, if you have like any kind of, <clears throat> if you can watch modern television and, you know, have uh any kind of like reverence for the way that shows like that work you could watch the sopranos and see that that's definitely how they learned it oh that's freaking awesome man is it the goat show like what are steven mowry's top three tv series of all time i don't know if i call it the goat show but it's definitely like that's definitely like an american classic for sure yeah. and not just in the sense that um not just in the sense that it's a cultural icon but also in the sense that like um i would say the strength of the show is definitely it's it's characters so like obviously you talk about like james gandolfini as tony soprano you'll never be able to see james gandolfini as anybody else right even in interviews like when you see him do an interview you know, he's got like the jersey accent on the show but i'm in like the interviews and stuff he's just a regular dude talking and it's so interesting to see how like when he's on screen in the show, he's, you know, fucking Tony Soprano. He's the boss. He's the, you know, whatever. Right, right. <clears throat> but then you see him, uh, and it's it's like that for for a lot of the characters. Like um, his nephew, whatever his, like his protege in the show, Christopher Maldasani, is the same way. His, every, like, individual actor, you would never think that, like, you know, especially the, even the way movies are structured now. You have, like, your leading man type, you know, your Chris Pratt, your, you know, your... Um, we could go on and on forever about Johnny Depp, those guys. Like you're that's your leading man kind of thing. But like James Gandolfini's like six foot, you know, borderline overweight, uh, bald. bald. And he's yeah. like he's the fucking boss. He's you turn you turn the Sopranos on and it's like you're bored, you're just watching him. You're like, man, this guy's fucking scary. You know? <laughs> I gotta watch it now, man. You've definitely thoroughly convinced me that I'm missing out. You got to give it a shot. And I think even if you just watch the first season, you would get a sense for like, oh, wow, this is it just sets like such a high precedent for like what television could be. Yeah, I'm actually just now since uh, I just started breaking break. No, Breaking Bad. I like just started that. I'm in season two now. So that's how far behind I am on shows for reference. Right. I mean, so Breaking Bad is one that I would tell people to watch it. But I've personally never seen more than I've seen probably 15 episodes damn like okay. here and there and i mean it's great show and i mean i know like everything about it like i know a lot of the major twists i know like you know stuff like that i've even watched like uh 
like like video essays about it where they break down you know like the artistic literary elements of it and i think it's awesome but i just cannot find i can't bring myself to watch more than a couple episodes here and there that's fair hey it's it's you know everybody's goes at their own pace like me being 20 years behind on every show we all travel at our own (laughs) pace well you're yeah. Well, Sopranos, that's not our fault. So I was, whenever the Sopranos was big, I was 10. Yeah, right. You know, we, so, were, we were too young. We were too we young to not enjoy watch it. the Sopranos. But. Yeah, no doubt. What it, what, <clears throat> so what's what's your goat show then? If it's not the Sopranos, like which one is at the top? I don't know if I believe in a, a goat anything, let alone a show. And I think it's for the same reason that I don't believe in a goat anything else. It's just because like, um, so you want to talk about like, to, to give you, I'll, I'll use something else so you can kind of use the, the dialectic to like see my yeah. pro- th- thought process, right? So with anime, right? My favorite anime is probably Cowboy Bebop. But then my second favorite is probably Berserk, but it's not even really because Berserk's anime is so good. It's that like the story is awesome and <clears throat> it, t- it has, you know, it has really interesting motif and like the imagery and the, you know, whatever the, it, it borrows scenes from like Jungian psychology and like stuff like that, but it's not over. And one of the things I respect the most about Cowboy Bebop was that from start to finish, it's like one story and the narrative's delivered in such a way that's like so fresh and mysterious, but captivating. And by the end of 24 episodes, you're like, oh, okay, it was over. And you get this, there's just, it's just so final and so like fresh and so like, I, you really feel like you've been kind of like you've had it all handed to you and you're like oh wow that was great so yeah. you know, so but that said that's i don't know if i believe is one one is greater than the other though um in the sense that objectively speaking you know it's the same yeah. thing with shows so like uh you couldn't put like game of thrones over the sopranos or the other way around because like <clears throat> um game of thrones is dope but like it's very clear that like the last I mean, I thought even the sixth season was pretty good, but at like seven and eight, it was very clear that the writers wanted to be done with it. Yeah. So they, they threw on the emergency break and they just look, kind of like let everything else slide off into the sunset, you know? Right. So, but the first, the first season of Game of Thrones might be the best single so season good. of television ever, you know? Yeah. Like that's one that legitimately, when you hear about a binge worthy show, that, that might be oh, one yeah. of my, one of my quickest binges ever. Like season one again, I couldn't stop. Couldn't stop watching it. I, I watched seasons one through five of game of Thrones in like six days. And okay. I were, so we're talking about, we're talking about 50 hours of television and <laughs> it's six days. It was like, I couldn't turn it off. Like I would be like watching it, watching it like, uh it was when i first moved down to florida so like somebody would be driving to practice i'd be like on my phone like as we were pulling up to the gym like okay i gotta pause it here you know oh and then you're probably looking forward to all training session to getting back and being able to oh soon yeah as soon as it was done i'd take a shower i get back in the car and same thing i'd be glued to my phone hilarious dude did you ever watch the leftovers on hbo uh-huh. so that's one that i'll give you you give me the sopranos that's my homework i'll give you the leftovers man i genuinely think you'll enjoy it you talk about like the anime that has like the very f- finality to it like there's no yeah. question leftovers is you know three quick seasons and it's final at the end and you're like okay that's it and that was amazing so same guy that wrote it wrote lost if you liked lost kind of similar what's jj abrams no um Dude, I should definitely know the guy's name. 
I'm you guys can flame me in the comments, roast me for not knowing, but get it. Yeah, I gotta Google. I gotta Google it. I don't know. I'll text you when, after this. But right, go, right, right. go watch the leftovers, man. It's, it's sick. I watched um. So like Boardwalk Empire is another one that like when I picked it up, I loved it. But then I want to say it was like the beginning of the third season. I took a break from it and I never got back to it. It was just yeah, like one of those yeah. things. Right, so it happens. I'm trying to sit, I put it in terms of other, you're asking me good shows. You're just asking me like, all right, what shows do I really like? I'm trying to think about it now. I'm trying to think of some other good ones. I really liked on HBO. I really liked Rome. The first four seasons of Dexter were mm. phenomenal. Yeah. Even that was another one when I got to the fifth season, I watched like two episodes and I was like, I can't fucking do this anymore. Uh, <laughs> I heard it. To... I heard it just got terrible. Like I've heard that from everybody. They're like, oh, it's so good at first, but. But I asked a friend who he like stuck with it and he was like, yeah, five's not that good. Cause it made it like, it was like nine seasons, eight seasons, maybe. Mm. And he's like, so the first four were good. Five was like, blah. And then like, he told me that like right around the end, the last like season or so is good again. But then it like, just that like the ending is one of those. You can't ever really get like, even the Sopranos, like people hated the ending. And even yeah. now that it's, in, when I heard about what the ending was before I watched the show, I was like, yeah, that sounds awful. But like having watched it and seen it like in context, I'm like, oh, damn, that was beautiful. Like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. it like really makes sense for the way that they were taking the, the show's direction, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of I unfortunately know the ending as well. The Sopranos just because it's so famous, but it's not going to deter yeah, me from watching. That's it. what I'm saying. Me, I'd watched it. I'd even watched probably the last like 20 minutes of the episode before. And I was like, yeah, this is dumb. But like, I was, and I was like, what a, like a big middle finger to the people who, who, you know, whatever had stuck by this show for whatever is like 10 years. Yeah. And then after I watched it, and especially like I said, you like, you give it context. Like you, I obviously, you know about it. And then like the scenes leading up to it and like the way that the characters are developing, you like get to this point where you're like, holy fuck, where can they go from here? (laughs) Yeah even the way that it ends is like, it's so for like the finality that I give credit to like your cowboy bebop, like the way that the ending of the show is presented is in such a way that it's like, you have to make sense of it. And it's so much, it, there's so much there to make sense of that. Like, I don't understand why people hate it. I guess I understand why people hated it so much at the time. Cause they were like, this is my goddamn show. And that's how you end it. But, um, you know, for me, you know, being able to like breathe it all in and make sense of it myself. I'm like, yeah, that was really good. No, oh, yeah, for sure, man. And you, did you just have to go outside to rub in that Florida sunshine? Is that was that the move yeah. there? Basically, basically, the ducks are out here, and the ducks get pissed off. I don't come out and hang out with them. So. Damn, you got to throw them some bread, dude. Come on. No, they don't like bread. They like cooked rice. Cooked rice. That's better for their stomach. Yeah. Okay. Nice. That's good. That's definitely good to know. <laughs> so, dude, after we went, you know, on a twenty-minute TV tangent, I gotta, I gotta get it back for the yeah, good, yeah, yeah, for the good people. No, that it was just as much me. But uh, for the good people, you, they want to know about your fighting career, dude. Like, what's on deck for Tall Steve right I now? Guess I, I guess I do do that sometimes. So. Mm. Um, I love it. Um, so I'm trying to think. Uh, why, unfortunately, I couldn't fight in August because of an injury. Um, but I'm hoping that I'm hoping that soon something's going to – Bellator is putting some dates together, some locations, and I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to be on the first, the first wave of them. So nice. we'll see. 
I mean, you got the that nice little. Are you ranked sixth now in the heavyweight ranking? You still sixth? Some, something like that. None of that shit. You really don't care. No. What's? I care. I will say I care, and it's not just not because I care where my number is. It's, it's nice to get a little bit of you know like recognition. And, you know, I mean the there's always going to be some small part of me that's 16 years old and you know oh my MMA is so cool. I wish I could do that. So like I would you know. One day I walked into a gym and decided this is what I was going to do the rest of my life. And here I am now, you know, 13 years later, and I'm like, I'm doing it and I'm ranked and it's cool. But that said, um, your number doesn't mean much if you're getting kneed in the face or you have an arm on your neck or your arm getting torn off. Or Yeah. So that's, I don't know, just to, just to kind of like keep myself uh, focused. That's kind of what I've done is like, you know, the numbers don't matter. The rankings don't matter. Your output doesn't matter. Your all that stuff doesn't matter. Yeah, it's objectivizing things and and executing them. Yeah, man. I think I, I honestly think that speaks to your mindset in general. I mean, you know, as much as we talked about earlier, just coming down to Florida in the first place, but even you can trace it back farther than that. Like just even starting training for you was a big leap of faith. Like you weren't this four time state champion wrestler or anything that would just was obviously going to fight. You know what I mean? Like you kind of willed this career into existence from the beginning. Don't you think? I definitely did. Um, I mean, I've been, that's not to take any credit away from the, I've had, I couldn't even tell you how many people who, <clears throat> for whatever it was just blind faith or they were good people and they felt like they needed to help out or whatever but i've had a lot of help along the way i had a lot of people who believed in me a lot of people who were there at the right time to help me with the right thing i can't wait for them but all right i'm gonna figure this out and like here i am whatever however long later yeah, it's, it's crazy, man. It's awesome to see. And obviously, I appreciate the time today. You know, I'm not going to hog up any more of your duck time here. You know, I got to let you get to your ducks. These, these ducks are, they're, they're looking at me kind of funny. Huh? I gotta, if I don't wrap it up, they're going to be pissed. Go get your rice, man. I don't want to see, like, in the news tomorrow, like Stephen Maury mauled to Stephen death. Stephen Maury wrecked by... to death by approximately six ducks. <laughs> the first loss on your record comes via duck. At the hand of Max the Duck. Yep. All right, man. Well, keep in touch, obviously, dude. This was a pleasure catching up with you, and we'll, we'll run it back soon after you get another dub. Oh, we're going to have to. It was always good talking to you. Yeah, same, man. And maybe I'll even come down to Florida or something, like get oh, the real thing. Oh, now we're, now we're really yeah. Let's go. That's what I like to hear. Let's go. You can knee oh, me yeah. in the head. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got to make you buy me a beer. How's that? Hey, way better. I'm way oh, more yeah. cool with that. <laughs> All right, Let's brother. Enjoy the rest of your day, man. You're the man. I'll see you. Thanks, brother.